Good evening, folks. Today is June 20th, 2019. I'm Travis. This is Oscar Mike Radio. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hoobazoo Network. You can find out more on hoobazoo.com. Before we get started, I want to give a big shout out to my sponsor, Joyce Asak of Asak Realty. Thank you for support of Veterans and Oscar Mike Radio. Hi, this is Joyce Isak with Remax Synergy. I am a real estate agent that services the South Shore. You can follow me on Facebook or Instagram by following Joyce Asak at Asak Real Estate or my website, asakrealestate.com. You can also reach me directly at 508-942-7146. For any buyers or sellers that I'll be working with in 2019, a donation will be made in their name to 22Kill. And today I have... Tonight, rather, I have a guest on Oscar Mike Radio, and before I introduce her, I just want to say that I am privileged when someone takes time out of their day and their life to talk with me. And so, with that being said, it is my my true honor and pleasure to introduce Ashley Buggy, who is a Gold Star wife, mother, and now advocate for overcoming life's challenges. Uh, Ashley, I want to say before um, we bring you on that this podcast will be dedicated to the service and memory of your husband, Captain Brian Buggy, U.S. Navy. Thank you so much for coming on Oscar Mike Radio. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, appreciate your time and being here tonight. I'm excited to talk about um, you know my story and things that I've got going on and talk to you for a while. Great, great. Before we get into the, the whole interview, a lot of people out there, both in the U.S. and internationally, for a little background, as a Gold Star wife, your husband passed during his service to our country. Would you mind taking a minute and explaining the circumstances around that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my husband, uh, Brian, was uh, he wasn't a captain in the Navy. He was an ensign in the Navy, um, but he was a captain uh, in regards to our sailboat. <laughs> and um, a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain. He had gone through the training to be able to take out passengers uh, on our sailboat and any other boat. So captain, but not in the Navy. He was a commissioned officer in the Navy. Um, And part part of his, I guess, growth and development over the years through the Navy and through personal life uh, just was around and surrounded by his love of the ocean, anything water, anything ocean, anything sea, he was drawn to. So, um, you know, initially, this is taking me back a ways, but initially he had wanted to join the Coast Guard back in 2003, and it didn't work out at the time for him to join. Um, But the Navy was a quick second place to that and soon became his entire life. He was consumed by the Navy. He wanted to just be on the sea, in the ocean. He chose to be on submarines specifically, he, he just couldn't get close enough to the ocean. That's um, really close. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I could tell you the very first time I, I got the distinct opportunity to go out on a submarine, uh, one of his submarines with him, just to see it and do a, a tour with him uh, when we were out in Hawaii once. And I tell you the first thing I noticed, that there are no windows. And I said, there's no windows here. And he goes, I know, you're in the middle of the ocean. It's pitch black. You don't need windows. And it was just the weirdest weirdest thing to think about conceptually you you would think there'd be windows because it's a boat but nope <laughs> uh yeah anything anything on in around the ocean he wanted to be a part of and it kind of just gradually led to sailing uh he did a tour 
over in Djibouti, Africa. And on his way there, he was uh, stationed training in I think Norfolk, Virginia for a little bit. And he learned how to sail. And that just kind of took on this whole life of its own, a new way to be on the water and a new challenging experience for him. And then eventually that led into scuba diving as well. So long story short, we, we ended up giving each other scuba diving lessons for our birthdays one year. Nice. In 2013. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, we didn't know it. He had been deployed. He came home. Uh, I, I went to give him his birthday present, like on the edge of my seat, all excited to hand him this envelope with scuba diving lessons in it, something we'd talked about for a little bit about doing. And I was, you know, just anticipating this joyful excitement hug. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. And he opened the envelope and he said, no. <laughs> and I said, what? Like tears almost in my eyes. Like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, now I have to give you your present. And my birthday wasn't for another month and a half. And he stood up and walked over the fridge. And I kid you not, he pulled down an envelope off the top of the fridge. And he had bought me typing <laughs> lessons for my birthday as well a month Aww. and a half later. So it was just a really funny, weird thing. It was That was he and I in a nutshell. That was kind of our entire relationship experience together. We just, we always got excited about adventure and surprising each other and things that we could do to make each other happy you know you're, you're doing all this and you don't meet a lot of submariners much less submariners wise what was it like being married to a submariner and being a military wife yeah it was challenging i guess is a nice way to put that <laughs> you know you hear you, you now you can watch a tv show about military spouses and you kind of get this idea in your head of Oh, it's just terrible. Why would anybody want to be a part of that? Why would you put up with that? Like, how is it possible that you can go that long without seeing your spouse? And there's certainly moments of that during during deployments and during the hard times of work comes first, mission comes first. You can be at the airport ready to go on a vacation together and the phone rings and your stomach drops because you know that you've got to now cancel that flight because they're needed at work. So there are certainly moments that are just, this is the worst ever, but they're so overshadowed by the sense of community and the sense of pride and the sense of, of something bigger than yourself that comes with being a military spouse and being just so closely associated and affiliated with military life. I mean, trying to explain like what it's like to have a spouse deployed, I don't know that it's possible until you're there, but I can tell you Saying goodbye at the airport is one of the hardest things that you ever go through. You just don't know what's ahead of them. My husband specifically, he worked on submarines. So I never even knew where he was going. He couldn't even say, I'm going to be here at this date, this time. I'll see you in six months. It was goodbye. I love you. I'll call as soon as I can, which I knew might be two months, three months before I heard his voice. I knew it might be a full month before I received a single email from him. I just had to trust that he was out there in the ocean somewhere, uh, that he was with a team of men or women that you know knew what they were doing and that at some point when he could, he would get to the surface and he would give me a call. I can tell you every single time my phone rang or there was a knock on the door that I wasn't expecting, I cringe and the worst possible scenarios flashed through my head of, oh God, there was an issue out there. Someone's calling to tell me, you know, there was 
there was something happened on the submarine and Brian's not coming home or, you know, the, the doorbell rings and I'm going to open the door and there's going to be a white suit there. And the, I think probably any military spouse that's gone through a deployment has had those visions in their head, which it's just hard to kind of wrap your head around if you haven't had to experience that before. But again, those Brian deployed a lot. So I guess those were realities quite often, but at the same time, like being able to have questions about benefits or have questions about family resources or things like that and being able to call your spouse's work and know you've got an entire team just looking out for you, um, that you've got this entire community who are going through something similar. I can't think of a single other job, I guess you want to call it, where spouses would have that type of support and that type of community and that type of camaraderie. It's just um, it's just such a unique experience being a military spouse and being affiliated with the military. It's, it's, and that hasn't ended. Um, you know, you mentioned I'm a gold star spouse. That means obviously I've lost a loved one who was serving active duty. And that sense of community and that sense of pride and that sense of support has not ended just because my husband's passed away. Um, I still, yeah, I still, people still call me to check on me. I still get care packages. The kids still get things in the mail. My son just celebrated his third birthday and got a huge box of stuff from a military affiliated nonprofit. Just there's still this, this huge sense of belonging. The fact that there's an entire program dedicated, you know, the gold star program dedicated for people like me, it's just unheard of in, in, in normal workplaces. Yeah, nothing like that in the civilian life at all. No. And yeah, having just feeling a part of it and having access to it, even if you don't use it, but having access to it and knowing it's there, having access to counseling services, to resources, to questions, to help from planning the funeral to 10 years out. And you've got questions, you know, about, I don't know, needing paperwork. Like I know that I have people that I can call and, as hard as this process has been to lose a spouse and to go through this, you do find this sense of comfort in a way, knowing that you're still a part of this and you're still a part of this community. And um, I'm just, I'm grateful for it. So yeah, being a military spouse is just, there's so many layers to it. (laughs) Right. Right. So just, just for the sake of people listening, can you describe how your husband passed? Yeah. So to come full circle, I guess we, exchanged the certificates for scuba diving lessons in 2013, ended up getting pregnant later that year and did not get to partake in our scuba diving lessons. But um, a year later, we flew to Mexico. Actually, we we got certified. Okay, back a little bit. We flew to Hawaii. Brian was working on a submarine in Hawaii. And my daughter and I, um, basically, if we wanted to spend time with him, we had to fly to Hawaii where he was working like two weeks of every month on a submarine out there. And on one of our visits out there, he surprised me with it's called a Discover Scuba Dive. And basically just a quick trip down into the water with scuba gear to see if you like it. You do, then you go on to get certified at a later date. So we did this Discover Scuba Dive in Hawaii. And the second that we were in the water, we both just looked at each other, just massive, like, you know, I can't really smile under there with the regulator mouth, but just, <laughs> you could just feel the joy between us. We just knew that this, we were onto something like this was life changing. Nothing like it has ever been experienced by either of us. We just knew that this was now going to be a part of our lives. 
And we flew to Mexico a couple months later and got certified in Mexico and on open, it's called open circuit and just kind of became more and more involved in the scuba diving community. And the, the next few years we spent diving uh, near our home in Washington. And a few years after that, we got moved from the Navy or with the Navy, sorry, to Hawaii, Brian commissioned. And as soon as we got to Hawaii, Brian has always pushed himself. He's always wanted to do the next thing and see what he was capable of. He was never just one to sit back and wait for things to happen. He always wanted to see what he could do and be the best of the best in every area of his life. And so the next best thing in scuba diving is called a closed circuit rebreather. And he soon started taking lessons on that. And a long story short, during one of his training dives on the closed circuit rebreather, he made a couple of mistakes. He failed to turn his off tank back on and he became hypoxic at the surface during the class and nobody had eyes on him and he drowned in the water there and it took a matter of about four minutes from the time uh, the computer so the, the rebreather has a computer on it and you can basically like a black box you can see kind of the events as they unfold and so by the time I got the information back I was able to basically watch his dive profile and saw from the time he, he went down to the time he was rescued off the ocean floor and back up. Uh, it was about four minutes to take. And so it happened very quickly. All of the the reports from there through the emergency response services and at the hospital show that he, he was gone before he even got back on the boat. So, yeah, that's what happened. And he, he died uh, in a scuba diving accident a few miles from our house in Hawaii. I, like I said, I, I remember I remember reading about it, and you know I've gotten certified to dive, and it's just it's a small community. Mm-hmm. It was there, and I remember reading about it. And then, if I'm looking at the calendar right, this this didn't just happen, but this has been like a year ago, pretty much. Yeah, May twentieth uh, was the one year mark, and actually my kids and I flew back to Hawaii. We had moved off the island right after it happened. I was pregnant um, and didn't want to have our baby there. And so we moved away and just went back, uh, well, a few weeks ago to commemorate the one-year milestone, one-year anniversary. And um, a, a bunch of his friends and dive team members flew in from around the country, and 12 of us did a memorial dive uh, on the wreck that he died on. It was, it was incredible. But, yeah, it's been a year. Just going back to this last year you have you're pregnant you have two small children and you have to adjust to this all at the same time and keep your family together (laughs) what what kept you centered was it was it the military support or just the desire to keep going how did this work for you (laughs) that's a fantastic question and honestly i i honestly don't know how to answer that it was breath by breath there was there was probably a two or three month period of time where I couldn't find center. I I couldn't see a week ahead, let alone maybe an hour ahead. I, I just, it was terrible. Um, you know, it was a combination, I'm sure of pregnancy hormones. I was six months pregnant that first month, right after he, he died, I basically was told either you need to stay here and have the baby or you need to figure out where you're going to go and you need to get there in three weeks because you can't fly after that. Right. <laughs> so it was 
okay, the first decision I need to make is do I stay in Hawaii and have this baby around all of this sadness or do I go somewhere? And if I do, where do I go? Because my home was with Brian. I don't really have a home base anywhere. My family is all spread out. Everyone's everywhere. And so quickly um, I decided I was going to go to Boise, Idaho, where all of his family lives, his mom, his sister, everyone is centered in Boise. (laughs) And, uh, that was the first decision I made. And from there, it was kind of, you know, I had a Keiko officer, which is like a casualty assistance officer, basically one person, the Navy assigned to me to help me and hold my hand through everything. So um, I had him there to help me make funeral arrangements, to help me basically pick up people from the airport. I mean, anything I needed done, he was there to help me with. So that first month, the only thing that kept me sane, I guess, and going on on that path was the fact that I had unlimited decisions that I had to make and they needed to be made right then. Um, I needed to pack up my house. I needed to get a move arranged. I needed to get my two young kids who were one and th- one and three at the time. Oh, wow. um, all of their packed up. I needed to get my daughter enrolled in school. I needed, I mean, there was just so many decisions that had to be made and had to be made a month prior, you know, and so really that first month was the only thing that kept me going was the fact that I, I had a constant people there with me. My sister-in-law literally didn't leave my side. She flew to Hawaii and stayed with me until I flew off a month later. Um, I had my dad with me helping me with the dog and just making sure I was okay. Um, so really, yeah, just, just the need to get stuff done. After that, it became the need to have this baby. I got to Boise June 28th um, and basically was, I was already a high-risk pregnancy, um, but became an even more <laughs> high-risk pregnancy because of this. Uh, and so then it was, you know, we need to get you to this certain point so that you can have this baby safely. And then that became my full focus. It was I just need to get to tomorrow so I can have this baby. I just need to get to the next day. I need to get to this doctor's appointment. It was just little baby steps. Um, And then eventually, go ahead. I'm I'm thinking, and a lot of people would have found it impossible to continue. (laughs) Yeah. People would have just folded. Not, Not everyone, and everybody handles adversity differently, but a lot of people would have. But you have, Mm -hmm. just with what you've said to me, taken this. And you flipped it on its end. And, and I think you're at a point now where you're trying to use this as a way to inspire others. And, and mm-hmm. where, where did that come from? Because you're pretty amazing as it is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there's super people call mom, super mom, but you're literally getting it done. But something <laughs> something else kicked in, Ashley, where you wanted to use this as a way to to help others. And, and that's really uh, fascinating. Amazing. Thank you. I I can totally empathize with that desire to to just give up and to give in and to say I can't do this because that desire was certainly there. It, that would be the easy way to do it, honestly. That it would be much easier to say I am too heartbroken. I can't do this. I'm I have three kids under the age of three. <laughs> like this is insane. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I'm done. That would have been much easier than what I decided to do, which was say, 
okay, I can do this, but I need to figure out how to do this. I need to do one thing at a time. I need to do this in a way that I can make it make sense. And for me, travel has always been a part of my life. It's always been a part of mine and Brian's relationship and the kids' upbringing. We've, we've traveled internationally with the kids since they were about two months old. Um, so this was my, I guess, my magic thing or my golden ticket was I said to myself right after I had Adelaide and I said, this is it. This is a make or break moment. Um, I'm either going to fight or I'm going to flight. If I'm going to flight, I'm going to do it now. If I'm going to fight, I need to figure out how to fight. And for me, it was, it was, I'm going to plan a trip. I'm going to give myself something to look forward to something that can tell me that I can still do this, that I can still live this life that Brian and I had wanted that I can still raise the kids how we had wanted to raise them, that I can build my confidence back up and just feel like I can do this. And so I, I put it in my head that I was going to plan a trip somewhere and I didn't know where, honestly, I didn't really care where, <laughs> right. uh, but I knew it needed to be travel and I knew it needed to be something big enough to get me excited and to keep me preoccupied and to give me something to think about and, and hope for and, like I said, just something big. And so um, it, it came to be that now it's been about eight months, nine months since I made that decision. Now next week, I leave on a two-month-long journey across Europe with my three kids. So <laughs> We're going to visit seven countries in two months, and we're going to go as a family and heal and laugh and make new memories, figure out how to do this and that we can do this and yeah, that was a defining moment, honestly, just saying, okay, I'm going to fight or I'm going to flight. If I'm going to flight, I'm going to do it right now. If I'm not, then I'm going to fight and I need to put my all into figuring out how to fight. And it became sure, sure. that from there. <laughs> As I read about your story, a couple of things popped up. And one of them was you had said that your husband, Brian, had a, had a desire or legacy to have this thing he called no bucket list. And it almost sounds like this, this <laughs> yeah. trip idea is to leave nothing on the table. Can you can you describe that, or how do you how do you live that out? Yeah, we we just weren't really people as a couple. We weren't really people to say, oh, "I wish I could do that," or "Oh, someday I would love to do that." It was like that for him and I. It was always, if you say you want to do something, then I'm going to support and encourage and inspire you and empower you to be able to do that. And he did the exact same thing for me and we had just about everyone who knew us as a couple always just said, you guys are so inspiring as a couple. There's just something about you that isn't like other couples. And I think that it, I, I strongly believe that it was that mentality of he wanted to see the best for me and I wanted to see the best for him. And the snow bucket list is kind of what he put into words as he sailed our boat across the Pacific ocean on a PCS. He said, this could be my last day alive. So I want to make it count. I want to do what I want to do. I want to, I want to live my dreams. And for me to, I guess, continue to show our You're kids who he was. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I want them to see who he was and who we were as a couple and to teach them this same mentality. I don't want, I don't want them to grow up to be kids or people who say, Oh, I wish I could do that. I want them to grow up and say, oh, I did that, or this is how I did that. This is how I made that happen. So, it might not happen today or tomorrow, but it's going to happen, and I'm working towards that. And so 
that's exactly what I want to continue to do. That's what Brian did. That's what we did as a, a couple and a family. And that's what I'm, I'm trying so there, to do with this there's, trip. There's, there's, no, there's no regrets for the buggies. There's no regrets for Brian or Exactly. Ashley. You're going to live <laughs> yeah. life. Okay. So, you know, that being said, a lot of Gold Star families deal with regret and loss. And mm-hmm. you've chosen to do this very unusual thing because a lot of people, when I say unusual, it might not be unusual to you, but a lot of people you talk to withdraw into themselves. They have negative coping skills or situations. They make poor decisions. I guess yeah. my question at this point would be, what do you want a Gold Star family member to know about dealing with loss and that daily you know, pain they have? Yeah, I, I think first it's, important to acknowledge that the pain is there. I, I still, even though I've got all these distractions and these things going on and these projects I'm working on, I'm still sad. I'm sad every single day. I miss my husband. I miss my partnership. I miss everything about my life, the way that it was one year and 19 days ago. I, I miss that. And I, I'm still grieving. I'm still mourning. So acknowledging the fact that that pain might not ever go away. If it, It's certainly not going to be as present as it is right now. I know that. Logically, I know that. But I still need to know that it's okay to feel this sad. But I also need to acknowledge that it's okay to not be sad every day. And for me, that was the biggest hurdle. I was feeling guilty for smiling. I was feeling guilty for laughing with my friends. I would catch myself laughing and, and stop. I would I would retreat and say, oh, my God, I'm so sad. How can I be laughing? And so I think trying to find ways to be okay with the fact that you're moving forward. And moving forward doesn't mean moving on. Moving forward means finding ways to deal with this type of grief and deal with these types of feelings and finding outlets for yourself to get through it. Um, For me, it's writing and it's talking about my experiences, the good and the bad, and it's it's doing things that I know will memorialize my husband and the man that he was and the family that we were. Um, and I think it's really just finding your passion. I think it's encouraging everybody, Gold Star families, military spouses, military community members, everybody yeah, yeah. to find a passion and to live that out and to not feel like you're stuck in one place. Um, and that if you're not happy that you can't change it because, you can be whoever you want to be whenever you want to be it. And it's on you to make that happen. So really just pushing the fact that it's your feelings are valid. You're absolutely okay to feel sad. Just know that it's okay to not be sad too. And to try to find something that brings you joy and brings you happiness and encourage others to do it, honestly, because having people come to you and saying, you're encouraging me to do this. You're inspiring me to do this. People are going to look and see what you're doing, and you're going to pass that on. Um, you know, it's like when you go to a Starbucks and you buy the next person in line <laughs> drink a coffee. It's, <laughs> it's cheesy, but it's kind of that same thing, like the pay it forward mentality. Fake it till you make it. It'll it'll happen. You'll get there. Looking at your story, I understand that you're writing a book now to kind of do what you said you're going to do and, and tell that story about your husband. How's that going? I mean, most, everything yeah, else you're trying I, to do, you're traveling. You're also an author. I'm like, <laughs> what can't she do? But but I, I'm just curious. Yeah. How, how does that work? How's that going? 
thank you for asking. It's it's actually amazing. Uh, I just finished scripts for book one, uh, which is mine and Brian's love story from start to finish. Um, you know, I, I told a portion of it, but it's there's more to it than that. Um, much more to it. And book one is our entire love story. Uh, it talks about meeting, dating, unmeeting for ten years and coming back together, and then leading up to his death. It includes travel, kids, family, everything that you would want to know um, about myself. Probably stuff you don't want to know, too, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff about me and Brian. And I'm starting book two, actually, in the next few weeks while I start this this journey across Europe, which will take take you guys from the day Brian dies up through this trek across Europe. So talking about to fight instead of flight. It talks about... um, the kids and birthdays and father's day and just all of these milestones um, that I've had to now go through without him here. It talks about the memorial dive I just did in Hawaii and now it'll take us through Europe and what we're doing and why we're doing it as a family. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It'll, It'll be great. So how can people find out more about what you do? And, you know, when it comes to, keeping his memory and service alive. Are you doing anything in that space? Yeah, I'm, I've got a couple more projects <laughs> going oh. on. Oh, right. As well. Um, I know. I've got a, I'm just the beginning stages of working on a documentary that will have some more information out soon on my website. Um, but I also started a scholarship foundation in oh, Brian's wow. name. For me, you know, I know, I know a lot of people would probably think you know, he died in a scuba diving accident, that would make me want to turn on the scuba diving community or be mad at it or just have ill feelings towards it, you know, especially being in a training class. But the opposite is true. I know firsthand how amazing it can feel to be underwater and that sense of self that you can find under there. I know what diving brought to Brian as a person and I really want to encourage and support um, other people, specifically military veterans, to find that passion as well, to be able to live it out and have something outside of their military service that they can look forward to. I know, I know our, our military members spend more than their 40 hours a week working and, you know, deployments and family and, and all of their conflicts, things that they have yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, um, just, people don't understand. Yeah. And so I want to, I don't want money, I guess, to be a factor in not being able to learn to dive and show them how amazing diving can be and what it can bring to their their own lives to enrich themselves and their families safely is the caveat to that. So uh, I started a scholarship in Brian's name um, to help military veterans do just that, to use it as a form of rehabilitation for anybody wanting to learn to dive. So we'll be able to offer a scholarship a year and hopefully be able to help a lot of people throughout time. Where is your website? Let me see if I got this right. It's ashleybuggy.com is what I'm seeing yeah. here in my notes. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. ladies and gentlemen, friends and neighbors, it's just a great place to see Ashley's story and ask questions and kind of uh, check out what she's doing. As you go through this trip in Europe, I have to guess, I'm going to guess here, which is probably not good, but I got to do it anyway. <laughs> What's next after Europe? I, I have to guess that you've already thought about what the next trip or adventure is. I know. I'm going to have to think of something better than two months in seven countries, right? I actually don't. I have I have been so preoccupied with 
getting to the one year mark of my husband's death and all of the events that I had surrounding that back in Hawaii and then shifting to now this trip that we leave on next week. So I have not had the time or the capacity to think through until the next trip, but I can tell you the only place that I have not been that I want to go, if I had a bucket list, this is the only thing that would be on it. And that would be to get to Antarctica. So at some point, I know I I want to get to Antarctica. We go but from when Hawaii, where it's older. nice and warm, down to the cold. <laughs> it's cold down there, Ashley. Okay, all right. I know. I, I want to see it. I want to see everything. And, um, yeah, that would be the one place. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I want to wait, you know, to bring the kids and let them see it. That would be a trip of a lifetime. But, well, yeah, next is I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm looking forward to your to your books. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to your books. Um you know, I, I, I enjoy reading, so I'm looking forward to that. And it just seems like, in a way, this is a real message of, yes, accept the pain, accept the loss, but move move forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that really comes clear in the conversation we had tonight is is to move forward. And that helps out veterans with PTSD. A lot of times they can't let go of the past, of the people I've yeah. talked to, and even in my life where letting go um, was difficult. So I think it's a really impactful message and just want to thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Anything else on your mind? Anything you want to ask? Well, I mean, I'm supposed to be asking the questions here, but anything else that you <laughs> you have on your mind you want to talk about? I don't think so. Honestly, just my biggest takeaway from all of this has been to reach out to people and to talk about your experiences. Anybody is welcome to reach out to me. They can find me on Facebook or my website. I love to hear personal stories, things that people are going through, things that they can't necessarily talk to about their fam- with their families or their counselors or whatever people are feeling. Um, I've had people reach out to me just needing to get it out there. And um, I just want to open that up to people and say, you know, certainly not a trained professional, but I am a good listener. And anybody that wants to talk, chances are good. Um, you know, that I'll listen and offer my own experience and we can talk about what you're going through. So just want to put that out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, Ashley, Oscar Mike radio and Oscar Mike uh, means on the move. And ladies and gentlemen, she is certainly on the move all the time. And (laughs) it's just been really great to have this time with you to talk about your story. And I'm going to put this offer out right now when your book comes out, or maybe, you know, if you took a pit stop in Europe and you have, a couple minutes would definitely have to check in and see how you're doing and for me this is again just an amazing story of resilience and the ability to to keep keep moving forward so i want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with me yeah thank you well ladies and gentlemen you can go to ashleybuggy.com to find out more i'll have the link in the oscar mike radio blog post it's always a privilege. It's always an honor to talk to a Gold Star family member. And Ashley, again, this podcast is dedicated to your husband's memory and service. I'm Travis with Oscar Mike Radio, and we are on the move. Thank you very much.